Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. This program contains themes of an adult nature. Word for Word is an in-depth look into the lives of real people, which means this episode may contain explicit accounts of real-life events, including alcohol and drug use. The language used at times may cause some offence, but has been left uncensored due to the accuracy of the story. No offence is intended, and we hope you enjoy the program. Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, to over 70 community stations around the nation, this is Word for Word. Coming to you from Australia's LGBTI radio station, Joy. Welcome, family and friends, fans and fiends, to today's edition of Word for Word. I want to thank you for tuning in today. My name's Benjamin Norris, and it's simply a delight to continue to work on this show for the Joy Network, which has already featured some of the community's strongest voices. In the tradition of this ongoing program, I continue to look at powerful stories and insights into the life and lifestyle of some incredible people. Each week, we will chat with those in and around our community who have inspired us, entertained us, but mostly they've made an impact on the queer community of Australia. Today's guest is one of them. This man was born in Perth, and while he looks like Leonardo DiCaprio, has the charm of Jack Nicholson, but sounds like Paris Hilton, it's his sharp and phenomenal comic timing that has made him a household name. He has been on the worldwide comedy scene longer than I or he would care to admit, because he still looks 19, and he's a constant fixture all around comedy festivals, making Australia ridiculously proud. He has picked up many awards and has hosted for SBS Mardi Gras and has done the Australian coverage of Eurovision and he's basically done emceeing at every place except for the moon. This talented gay Australian can also drop a name faster than a real housewife can release a perfume. From Neighbours to I'm a Celebrity, there ain't a TV network not begging for his services and currently he's hosting the popular show Take Me Out. I'd like to welcome you and I'd like to welcome Joel Creasy to Word for Word. My name is Joel Creasy. Uh, if you haven't seen me before, where have you been? Please welcome back Joel Creasy. I never thought I'd say it, but I'm kind of sick of myself at the moment. If only it was as easy as take me out. Look who's coming to Ramsey Street. Turn that phone down, Joel, and then we can all show me the movie. Joel You've just come back from the Ukraine where you're hosting the Australian bit of the Eurovision Song Contest. If I don't get at least 100 Instagram followers from being here tonight, I will be disappointed. Would you please welcome comedian and human hashtag Joel Creasy. It's called Thirsty Confessions of a Fame Whore. If If you're funny, tell me a joke. That is the worst thing to say to a comedian. Like, never say that. That's like saying to a doctor to suddenly perform brain surgery or some with an arts degree to suddenly make me a coffee. Right, it's just um... Welcome Thank you It's Welcome good to, to be here You know, I went through today mm-hmm. My Instagram And yes. all the messages That I wrote to you over the last six months To try and get you on the show Yeah What a stalker <laughs> I don't know why you're here <laughs> Haven't got a restraining order against me Can I just say If I, people would ever, would ever see my Instagram inbox Some of the thirsty DMs I've sent people over the years I would never want my In fact, I would never want any of my phone to be seen My boyfriend asked for my passcode for my phone the other day Because he was having it fixed for me And I wouldn't even give it to him Because I'm like, I just can't trust what's in the back 
catalogue or what could pop up or what nasty text I've sent to people that, yeah, I just would never give it out. Do you know what I always say to my partner as well? Like, mm. why do you need to censor what you say to other people? Because often people write to him and say really slutty things. Yeah. And he was telling me that he had to delete it. Like, he's like, I've got to delete that in case I ever come across it. Yeah, totally. But I'm like, if you've done nothing wrong, yeah. I can then just read Absolutely, it. yeah, totally. But there's a guilty conscience in there. Yeah. Oh, abso- oh, God, I've got a guilty conscience. Absolutely. I've had a guilty conscience my whole life. <laughs> Have you ever had a stalker? Oh, like who's the biggest freak you've come? Oh, across? I've had a few. I've had a few people like threaten and know my address and wanting to come round. I had a quite a bad one early this year, but then early on in my career, bizarrely, before I was way before I was on TV, I was doing stand up in Perth. People only knew me. I had had one article in the West Australian Perth newspaper, and a guy got quite mildly obsessed with me. He was a real estate agent, so worked out where I lived and used to sort of just loiter out the front of my parents' house, but. Kind of loved it. <laughs> I was like, my career is going well. I've got a stalker at age 19. And then he also put, um, he one day he put a card in my letterbox with 20 bucks cash in it. 20 bucks cash. And people were like, well, don't spend it. Give it back. I obviously immediately spent it. <laughs> I would spend that money. Yeah. But you're the only person that I can think of that would use stalkerism as a barometer of how famous you are. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> how and many then, of them outside my house today? I know, oh. I know. I mean, I've given out my address publicly so many times that you? You know, it's my fault. Well, I've, I've done material about my suburb and cause it's, it's, the, well, it's the Docklands in Melbourne. And, um, and you're the only one living there. Exactly, I'm the only one living there, so I'm not that hard to locate. <laughs> that said, the bloody Docklands newspaper for years refused to write an article about me. We have a newspaper. It's like three people. It's like a student paper. And they refused to do an article on me. And then finally, last year, they wrote something about me. And it was my proudest achievement. I was like, screw the New York Times. I was in the Docklands Times this week. (laughs) But what did they say? What was the article about? They had a photo of me sitting down at my favourite cafe slash the only cafe in Docklands. I think it was about my stand-up tour. It was only a small article too. And I wasn't even on the front page. Sign of it being a real celebrity, the Docklands paper. (laughs) And you know, we've got like a Hollywood (laughs) star walk of fame in the Docklands too. Like there are... Stars, yeah. I mean, I don't have a star in the Docklands Walk. Who the hell yet. has a star in the Docklands? I know! It's so bizarre. The cow up the tree. <laughs> you know the cow up the tree in the Docklands? Never heard of that before. It's a piece of artwork in the Docklands. It's very controversial and it's literally a big cow up a tree. Only ever been to the Docklands for Costco. You only go if you're going to have a function because it's my local supermarket. What? It's my local, local, local. Costco is my local. So, so you buy one item and be like, I'm eating pineapples for the week. Exactly. Like, I've got so much toilet paper that, you know, people, <laughs> or, you know, get a bit nervy with everything that's going in North Korea. I'm like, I am ready for a nuclear winter. I could live in that apartment for 25 years with the amount of toilet paper and muffins I it's have. It's like a bunker. Yeah, exactly. So I can't go out for one, like, like tube of t- toothpaste. I have to get, like, 20. Buy them in bulk. Now, Joel, we're here to talk about Take Me Out, which is the show on Channel 7 at the moment. It's a dating program. Have you heard that people have been having take-me-out parties? Fabulous. Okay. The re- so the reason why I'm asking, do you have your own take-me-out parties? I did on the first night. I had a really fabulous over-the-top party at Entrecote. What, the French and place? Yeah. Near the, the tan? Yeah, because I thought that's kind of like romantic and I had a few people around for <laughs> some wine and cheese. I want to be taken out to Entrecote. The last few weeks, I oh, I watched the following week, but then I've been, um, I went to, well, this week when it was on, I was at the opening night of Evita. In Sydney. So oh, how was that? It was it was good. It was there's only there's few things that'll stop me from watching myself on TV, and Tina Arena is one of them. Well, that's a given. I was like, I guess I won't watch myself on TV for Tina Arena tonight. 
I feel like it's hard to be very self-critical though, because you filmed all of this show. Is it already done? Like, well, I filmed it? it, and I was very involved in the pro- like. I wasn't a producer, but I was very involved in the production of it. And then, because I do voiceovers for, it, I've I've seen every episode like a million times. I know all. I know. I know all the dates. I know who gets dates. I know who doesn't. <laughs> Did you hate any of the contestants? Oh, some of the guys are a little bit you know, up themselves and coming out fully expecting a date. But the girls, but admittedly, they were all pretty great, the guys. The girls were amazing. I was hoping to get some stand-up out of a few of them, but they were all so funny. Still some of their jokes, come on. They were really good. And also people go, are these girls produced? None of their lines are written for them, which almost makes me more concerned with some of the stuff coming out of their mouths. I thought it was like The Bachelor. You know how The Bachelor now has people in there that are actors? Oh, yeah, Unreal Star. I thought Mallory has to be an actor. That's what I thought too. She just, do you know what Mallory got? She got the bug. She got the showbiz bug, and the 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 studio audience there just started going nuts for her. And I think, yeah, she she was loving it. But she was so funny. But I would love to have me Cat or Cat or Romy from The Bachelor on our show. I put them in their place. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I think you'd love it. Anyway, look, we're going to get into a lot more of Take Me Out and being your new show at the moment, but we're going to go back to a little bit of your heritage. Mm-hmm. So you're a Perth boy. I am. Well, I was actually born in Sydney, but I grew up in Perth, so I'm very much a Perth boy. You're like Nicole Kidman, born in Hawaii, but we claim her. <laughs> oh my God, I always forget she was born in Hawaii. Yeah. I'm very obsessed with her, that's right. Yeah, I'm just another famous person who needs a restraining order against me. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm only kidding. Nikki K. Yeah, I'm obsessed, but... So, being Perth, so how old were you when you moved there? Uh, oh, like four? Oh, right. Maybe three. So, I don't remember any time in, in Sydney. I was drinking and drugging very heavily in those, those early years. Um, in the so, womb. Yeah, yeah, in the womb um, at three years old. Just had a real you know, party lifestyle. Uh, no, so when we moved when we were really young, and, and then I moved to Melbourne when I was 18, 19. So, I've always, like, I'm a Perth boy, and I'm a proud Perth boy. What were you like as a kid over in Perth? Oh, I was like the sassy queen in the choir. I was never like the class clown. Uh, I don't know many comedians that were the class clown. It's, I was this kind of the sassy one at the back of the room making comments under my breath about the teacher's shoes to my like two sassy mates. Really? Yeah. I kind of expected you to be like the funny kid that your parents would wheel you out at like Christmas dinners. And oh, things. I did all that. Totally did all that at dinners. Like with amongst friends and, okay. and family. Like you know, a dinner. if my parents were having a dinner party, that for me was like, awesome because I knew I had an audience that night, an audience of possibly eight. Uh, that for me was a good crowd. And, um, <laughs> and that for me in Edinburgh is still a very good crowd. And uh, so, yeah, I, I loved it. And I, I used to do a magic act, weirdly, that I didn't know any of the tricks, but it was kind of a vehicle for me to do stand-up. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was the early sign of imp- improvisation. Yeah, magical Mephisto, I called myself. But did you like rehearse that. any of that before you went and did it? Or were you one of those kids that was like, mum and dad, I've got a show, and then you just winged it? Oh, I just do it. Yeah. But I still don't rehearse stand-up. I'm, I've never written down any of my stand-up. But I also don't tell jokes. I tell stories. So, um, And it's all very autobiographical. So it's very much like, you know, you know what it's like when you've had a, something's funny's happened to you during the day and you've gone to a dinner party and you've told your friends about it over a wine. That's essentially my stand-up. Which is good. Uh, that's the sort of comedy I like. It's like what Carrie Fisher said. Carrie Fisher used to say, yeah. she's not a comedian. Like, she wouldn't write her own jokes. No. But yeah. she was like, I love to tell story. Yeah. And love storytelling. Love storytelling. And, like, a lot of, like, my early influences in Australian sound, like Fiona O'Loughlin and Denise Scott, Judith Lucy, were all amazing storytellers. But then, bizarrely, Joan Rivers, who I worked with for a couple of years and was my biggest inspiration... It's not a storyteller. She's a she's she is a proper joke joke writer. So yeah, that not, not a lot of that transferred across to me. I mean, it was so lucky that you even had that relationship with Joan Rivers. Amazing, every gay man's dream. I know she was fabulous, and I got quite upset yesterday because I was performing at a corporate function, and this nineteen-year-old guy came up to me, and we were talking, and and then I mentioned Joan Rivers, and he went, "Who?" I was like, "Oh no, you don't know who Joan Rivers is. This is outrageous." 
So I filled him in. Well, he was obviously thrilled to get a one oh gay one oh one from you. I know. Well, then uh, this is another sign. People say to me, "Oh, now, oh, I grew up watching you on TV," which is so scary because if you're, I guess, and it makes sense if you're like twenty now, I've been on TV for eightish years. You could have. They wouldn't you- remember the first ten years of their life, so they just remember remember exactly. you exactly. But yeah, I'm twenty eight. Yeah. I'm like, no, you can't say that. So scary to think of you being twenty eight. So what was your relationship like then with your parents? Always really good. My parents were both performers, so they were they. My mum was a West End actress, and my dad was a a model and was the solo man. And then they were both in, they were also both in Star Wars. So how did that happen? What do you? They they were in Star Wars as extras, weren't they? As extras. That's kind of how they met. So yeah, they were both extras in the Empire Strikes Back, second <laughs> Star Wars film slash best Star Wars film. You couldn't make this stuff up. I mean, hello, Darth Vader introduced your parents. Like, I know. So I was kind of always like, my parents have never dissuaded me from doing anything in. in the biz, they were always very supportive, and and just growing up, they're always pretty great. Did they get to keep their costumes? If like, if you got those costumes at no. home, no, and only we don't even have a photo of Mum in Star Wars, and you can't even you can see the back of her head zoom by in one scene. But my dad was front and centre in the scene when Carrie Fisher addresses the rebels before they before the battle on Hoth base, the the snow one that's very threadbow, and yeah, Dad's got this orange like almost porn star moustache, and yeah, you can see him. He gets very featured. Who do you take more after, your mum or your dad? I think my mum. I think my mum. My sisters are more like my dad, and I think I'm a bit more like my mum. My mum's very funny, and we've always had such a... We've always had, like, a very, like, matey... You know, she's been always just been my funny mate. Yeah. I speak to her every day. And then your dad, what sort of an impact did he have on you growing up? He's the nicest person. He is the nicest person, the most organised person. He's, like, in, to the point of insanity at times. But, yeah, I've, I've tried to get some of his... He's in business and some of his skill in that department, and he sort of part manages me in a way. I don't know. I haven't gotten a lot of his great traits, just losing my hair like him. Sometimes I look at the photos of my parents mm. and some of the qualities I used to hate about them, like yeah. my dad's nose and things like yeah. that. Now I'm like, I'd never get surgery or do anything to change that because I'm like yeah. that reminds it makes you look like them totally and as you get older you kind of like that yeah absolutely I mean they're you know they're, they're trying to you know stay as young as possible with regular trips to their uh, to their local doctor um, so yeah they look fabulous they look younger than me at the moment do you go there as a whole family and get any of that done no I don't know if my sisters have been with them but yeah mum's always mum and dad are always off for a little trip they don't mind double, double up <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So you've got two younger sisters. No, one older, one one younger. Oh, so you're the middle sister. I'm the middle. You're the middle, I'm the middle sister. I've always been the middle <laughs> sister. <laughs> Didn't even mean to say that. And it works. Three girls. Three it girls. Works. Yep. They've got three girls. No wonder they cast you on that show. I know. Sisters. Oh, sisters. Yeah. That's what we used to all, all call ourselves. Sisters. People yeah. are talking about that. Are they, is that show going to come back? I don't know. It, 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 Netflix have picked it up. Yeah. So, it's doing really well on yeah. Netflix. It's, I hope so because Maria Angelico, who played the lead, that was meant, you know should have been her real big breakout mm. role, and she's so fantastic. She was great. And it's a really great supporting cast too. What dynamic did you play within your family? Um, I was always, I probably, the, uh, the, the opinionated one. Always, I was more so than my sisters discovered who I was very young and had a very kind of easy path to working working out who I am. So from a very early age, I realised that I'm a, I'm a bossy bitch. <laughs> and, um, and I think that, yeah, probably rubbed other members of my family up the wrong way. But yeah, I was always the, always the, the bossy, opinionated one, but also the funny one, I guess. Were you watching a lot of Disney at the time? I can imagine you... Oh, we watched a lot of Disney, um, a lot of Star Wars, because mum and dad were in it. 
Grease was on repeat in our house. <laughs> I always wanted to be Sandy. And the never, moral of that story never. is just become a slut and you'll get the guy. And that's how I've approached every relationship. And have a cigarette. Yeah, and have and a cigarette and put on some leather and you'll be fine. And then I love it? in every interview with Olivia Newton-John these days, she's like, and I still fit the pattern some Grease. I'm like, find another line, babe. Find another line. She's made a lot of money out of that movie, I can tell you that She much. has. I love someone, though, that has a big hit and then's happy to talk about it. I once Forever. interviewed Reese Witherspoon and did not want to, I mentioned Legally Blonde, did not want a bar of it but then that same day I interviewed Laura Dern mentioned Jurassic Park happy to go into it like happy to chat about Jurassic Park answer all my questions and I, I think that's going to be me with I'm a Celebrity get me out of here <laughs> when I'm like 50 someone's like what was Marsha Brady like I'm like well let me tell you <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I think that's a good sign like I like when you do get to interview celebrities or people you've seen on yeah. telly, it's always a big shock when they try and steer you away. Totally. And you're like, no. You're like, that's do what you're hits. famous for. Do the hits. Yes. I bet your Reese has changed that now because when was it that you interviewed her? Oh, that was... Please don't say last week. Please. No, it was a couple of years ago. I was doing one of those press junkets mm. for that film where she just goes on a big long walk. You know that film where she goes oh, on a long walk? The movie was... Wild. She has a breakup and goes on a big long walk. That's right. Laura Dome is her mum. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. It was a good film, but it's just a walk. Like that film, The Post with Meryl Streep. It's just about Meryl Streep making a decision. Yes, Spoiler exactly. alert. It's just, she, she just makes a decision for an hour and a half. It's kind of fabulous, but it's just Meryl Streep making a decision, that film. Meryl's the only person I can think of that literally could just do one thing in a movie and I'd still bang my hands together. I loved it. And ask, where is her Oscar? I loved The Post, but then I, let, I walked out and my friend went, she just made a decision for an hour and a half. And I went, oh my God, that's so true. But it was fabulous. So where did you go to school? I went to school. I went to primary school a block away from our house, Applecross Primary. used to scoot down there on my laser scooter every day. And then went to high school at Wesley College in Perth, which is a, a, a private boys' school. Yeah, what was a private boys' school like for uh, you? I wasn't a huge fan of the school. I was out by, by grade 11 and had very few problems with the students. It was more a few of the teachers that would make like a snide comment or, you know, roll their eyes at me. But yeah, it was... I graduated in, in 07, so it's a, I guess it's a sign of the times and how things are changing. I remember being at school and a teacher put on the board, you have to correct the spelling or the mm, grammar, Yeah, and he said, what is the likelihood that Ben is gay when he's older? It was really controversial. What? I'm like, that is insane. And I'm 10 years older than you, so yeah. like I'm talking mid-90s. Yeah. And I walked out of the classroom and walked home. Yeah. And Good. My mum was like, what are you doing at home? But the bad thing about the circumstance when you've been singled out for being gay, when you're yeah. not ready to tell people, is mm-hmm. that I couldn't say anything. Yeah, of course. Now you're like, you, yeah, you're backed into a corner. Because mum's like, what did he do to you? And I'm like, well, he said something I didn't like. Yeah. And so mum just drove me back to the school. Yeah, of course. What a jerk. When, do you know what that teacher's doing now? Well, the twist of that story was that at the very end of the year, he got the package and it was told to me that one of the other parents that was of the kids in the class mm-hmm. had heard the story. Yeah. And they complained Oh, cool. Good and on them. the last day of school for um, this teacher, and he came up and said, um, I'm leaving being a teacher. Yeah. And I think you know. And yeah. he said, and I also have just had a son and I've named him Ben. Oh, wow. Now that I think about it as an adult, I think in some weird way he was quite fixated and kind of connected to me in a way. And yeah. I think it was Obsessed. all... How, how, what a bizarre story. It's so weird, though. Yeah. And when all that stuff happens to you when you're a kid, you sort of don't realise. You can't put it all together. No. You're, you're not like, equipped. You're not at all equipped. Yeah, it, yeah it's, it's very strange. Well, I remember my school had, like, no... For a private boys' school, I think it's shocking. I had no mention in, like, sex ed or, or any education about being gay whatsoever. Mm. And I reckon of my year of 150 boys, probably 20-plus 
are gay now. Done the research, school camp. And yeah, so it's Slept just like. Them all. I know, yeah, exactly. So it's just insane. It's like, oh, come on, like, up your game. I don't know what it's like now, but then I was like, you know, you need to mention something. Well, what was it like growing up in the noughties for you? It was, you know, it was, it was just Spice Girls 24 uh, 7. Me putting on um, dances to uh, Wanna Be, but a Zigga Zigga with my sisters. Yeah, it was a lot of lace scooters, lemonade, stand, lemonade stalls. I was a very savvy businessman. I once opened a lemonade stall outside the local IGA, got in a lot of trouble. From who, IGA? Yeah, I was taking their business. And it was like a hot summer's day. And I knew if I I had an audience there, I had a crowd (laughs) who were going in just to grab a drink. I'll grab them on the way in. Cute little blonde boy. I made like 500 bucks. I got so busted. You're like a little entrepreneur because weren't you a DJ as well? I was a DJ from about 12 to 15. I opened my own DJ company called Joel Jiven. And I would DJ school discos and functions. I, um, my parents bought me a for my a birthday. Oh no, sorry, I bought it myself. I'd saved up money from like washing cars and bought like this really crappy CD stacker and a like a lava lamp from Granny May's. Oh, you needed to have that. Yeah, and then but then eventually through my three years as a DJ, built up and had proper equipment. I still got proper DJ decks. At home. That's the, that's the gig to fall back on. I know. 15, retired from DJing. It's too much. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I might start DJing. A lot of celebrities do DJ. Maybe I should do that a la Lindsay Lohan. And be a celebrant. Is that how to say it? Yeah, celebrant. like Gina Liana. Like Gina Liana, but they're well, all I'm doing I'm desperate that. to do a fragrance, but I want it to be like a funny fragrance called like Desperation by Joel. And like, I genuinely <laughs> want to pitch it. And my manager's like, no. <laughs> what are you talking about? I honestly think that's... You I know, think that's funny, right? Because what I like about you is sometimes you turn the phrase. So, like, you call yourself a fame whore before someone calls Absolutely, you a fame whore. Absolutely, yeah, for and sure. And then you'll call yourself thirsty before someone calls yeah. you a thirsty bitch, you know. Exactly. So, you're turning it all around. I'm on the front foot. And so, I think having the fragrance as that name works. Yeah, absolutely. I reckon mm. people buy it. I think so, too. I might do another call later about it. <laughs> they said no one would see Black Panther, and then everyone went and saw that movie. Exactly. I love the idea. Look, let's get My Chemist Warehouse on the phone. <laughs> so, what age, then, did you end up? Telling your parents that you were gay. Oh, uh, I was like seventeen, um, and it was such a, it was such such a, it just fizzled out. Like I was expecting like a, some drama, something to put in my book, something to tell you, Ben. And then they were like, "Cool." I tell a joke on stage, and I say, "They said, cool. We're having that's great. We're having pasta for dinner." And I said, "I don't think you heard me. I said I'm gay. I can't eat carbs anymore." Uh, that's an old stand-up bit that I've done for years. It maybe didn't happen that way, but it's still very true. But it's kind of, they were like, cool, we know. Bastard parents trying yeah. to feed you the carbs. N- yeah, and being nice about it. I'm like, come on, kick me out of home for a week. I need a story to tell Oprah. What is this about? They didn't blink an eye. They didn't blink an eye. And I know I'm just very, I'm very lucky because, you know, I've got friends who had horror stories and I'm, you know, people going through horror stories right now every day. So, yeah, I was very lucky to have supportive parents. My parents have, yeah, to the point of crazy supportive. Like, they've come to... They've come to like every comedy festival around the world. They won't miss. They're like they're like a recently evicted bachelor contestant. Like they will attend the like opening of an envelope. They've come to every festival I've ever done to the point that I've had to say to them, maybe don't come to this one. It really is a professional function. Do people know who they are? Like are they just oddballs standing outside the theatre? Like they they thank people at the end of my shows in Perth. They'll thank people for coming and, and shake hands. And people don't immediately know who they are. So people are like, oh, the owners of the theatre are really friendly. So they're like- really proactive. Who are those people? I know, waving and patting you on the back. Yeah. So you go outside and meet everyone after the shows. I some well, this year I was doing selling books after, so yeah. But otherwise, after a show, I do kind of like just to sneak out and leave straight away because I kind of like to leave it as you know, you've seen me for an hour on stage, 
and I've made you laugh, I feel like I'm a disappointment in person after I've done an hour of stand-up. I'm a bit sweaty as well. I've been on stage. Yeah, you're not looking your best. Yeah, I'm happy. Like, people come to stage door with a book and stuff. I'm like, absolutely happy. Thrilled, in fact. But I normally just sneak off. I can't remember who it was. It was a famous actress. She was in a play in New York City and shit. The play would finish. It was The Seagull. Diane mm. Weist is who yeah. it was. And she would finish this play that was like, it was a checkoff. So I went for like yeah. three hours. Oof. She would come out and meet everyone. Yeah. And I went up because obviously I'm just a crazy person. It was Fab, like, I'm going to go up and ask for a photo and yeah. tell her to be my friend. And, um, and this is where she told me, she was like, oh, I love coming out and meeting everyone. And then she pointed at a bin that was in the corner of the room and looked at the security guard and said, is that bin, is that bin anyone's? And the guy what? who went, no. And she went, oh, can I have it? And he went, sure. <laughs> and Diane Weiss went over, picked up the bin, and then went and flagged a taxi. This is like oh my off, off Broadway. Shoved this bin into the taxi and drove off. And all I could How think of was funny. that maybe, she, you know, it looked like one of those bins from Sesame Street. Maybe she was going to go home and craft up a, yeah. an Oscar the Grouch. or Yeah, maybe she's got some sort of charity program where it's like, you know, rehousing bins or something. Why would you take a bin? That's so bizarre, but what a great story. Is I'm going to start doing stuff like <laughs> the kooky stuff like that and see if people pick it up. Just try and freak people out because they'll still be talking about it. Like, that's 10 years ago. So that's I'm still... such a great story. Good now, on it. So with your sexuality, you know, what was your first knowledge of gay people? Because, like, that's an interesting question to ask people because... You know, it's the first time. I don't even know. It was. It was. Um. It was like. I get. Do you know what I bizarre thing was? There was a gay couple on the block. <laughs> Gas and was really a really early block because I would have been only in like I would have been in high school, early high school. I don't even. I don't really know. Like Ellen. Like I, I'm just trying to think of figures that would have come on TV and. Oh, I did have a. I had a drama teacher for two years, Clyde Selby, who was amazing, and he was gay, and I guess I knew he was gay. But then I, from a very early age, knew I was gay. And I just went, ooh. I literally went, ooh, that's a big thought. Let's park that and come back to it. Yeah. And then a few weeks later, I thought about it again and was like, oh, I guess I am. And that was sort of the... the so what of, age is that? So the age that was, Oh, that was like, I was in grade eight or grade seven. I was probably still in primary school. So do you reckon that you always had a, like an inkling that you're a little bit different to other kids? Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. See, I always thought I was a little left to centre, but you yeah. also... That's probably because I'm also crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we're all we all are. We're all a little anyone, bit. Anyone, anyone in this field of work. What advice would you give Joel mm. if he walked through the door now as a twelve year old? Oh gosh, I'd say probably stop making comments about the teacher's shoes because she can hear you, and you're not going to find that out until a few years later when you bump into her at a bar. Um, I don't know. <laughs> what advice? I don't know. I guess, you know, be yourself. And I, I did come out at a very young age. And I'm sure, you know, people listen to this and they're like, what are you talking about? But, you know, if I could have found myself even earlier. Cause, because my, I felt like my school didn't cater to me at all. It was a school that offered football scholarships. And I was in the drama program. And the drama program was very like in this dilapidated building, out of the very posh private school, this crap old building out the back. We've ch- ch- The teacher changed every few months. There was no opportunities for someone like me at school. So I started making up my own stuff. Like I, uh, I became the editor-in-chief of the student paper, which hadn't been running for a few years. I was like, let's start that back up. I was in the school Young Achievers Business Program and ran this like small business within my school, bought shares, made money. Uh, I was a drama captain and directed like school productions. So I wish I'd started being proactive with that sort of stuff earlier because I realised if, if they aren't going to provide anything for you, just make up your own shit and... Well, I think that's a good way to be. Yeah, totally. So then when did you work out that comedy was your thing? Well, I always knew from, knew from a young age it was my get-out-of-jail-free card. And I always knew from a young age that I could make people, laugh, adults laugh, but I wouldn't make them laugh like other kids could. I could make them laugh on an the way their, their adult mates would make them laugh. Like I could make my mum laugh the way her best mate made her laugh. 
so yeah, I always used that as a get out of jail free card. And I used to sit and watch the Melbourne Comedy Festival Gala every year and was obsessed with it. But I remember sitting there going, oh my gosh, that looks like the toughest job in the world. And then one day, I guess in maybe grade 11 things, I guess it would be a grade 11, about 15, that I went, actually, I think I want to start doing stand-up. And it's from, I'd just gotten a computer and I was allowed to have internet in my room. And I sat up late one night watching Joan Rivers clips on YouTube. And, and that was your inspiration. Yeah, and didn't sleep all night and went to school the next day. And was like, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. But didn't tell anyone because I knew people would be like, you're not funny. But then what was your first paid gig then? Ooh, well, I did a comedy competition, which wasn't paid. And then my first paid gig, I was, uh, I was 17 uh, and it was at a pub in Perth called the Charles Hotel. My parents had to uh, escort me in and sign me in, very rock and roll. And I got paid $50 and it was a check. And I remember mum said to me, keep it and frame it. And I wish I had. But of course, 50 bucks at that age, I went and immediately spent it on like two cocktails at the local bar growing up in Perth. <laughs> Nothing was cheap. Yeah, mocktails. <laughs> yeah, mocktails. Yeah, yeah sure. one and a half mocktails for 50 bucks. Responsible drinking, of yeah. course. Yeah. So who were your inspirations? So Joan Rivers, I guess the answer to that is. Joan Rivers. Well, Joan Rivers was my inspiration for in terms of like content. My inspiration in terms of structure was always Kathy Griffin. I love Kathy Griffin. I love her storytelling abilities. And that she does really long form stories. Like I saw her last show, which was like one story for three hours with other little stories throughout it. So I've always loved her. And then Fiona O'Loughlin, I guess, closer to home was also my other inspiration. And she who uh, was one of the first really big name comics that I got mm. to tour with and meet. And I remember she came to my first show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival when I was 19 and I couldn't believe she was there. And I can still remember to this day standing on stage telling jokes and the sound of her laughter at the back of the room. It was the coolest, most rock and roll thing ever. But then you think about it, Fiona O'Loughlin and then Kathy Griffin, Joan Rivers, you got to yeah. meet all of them. And like Carrie Fisher, you've met, had chats. I know. they all keep... And if some of them weren't dead, they'd all be your friends still. I know. Yes, they all keep falling off. Yeah, yeah Joan died just after I worked with her. Carrie died just after I worked with her. So trying to get a gig in the White House. <laughs> but yeah, Carrie was, uh, Carrie was amazing. What would you say then makes a good comedian? In your eyes. Because I feel like I do, oh, I don't know, there's so many different styles of comedy. I think everybody actually has it in them to do a killer five-minute set. Every single person on planet Earth can do a killer five-minute set. It's just only some people are able to find it, I guess, and find it within them. Everyone's got a hilarious story. No single person on planet Earth doesn't have one hilarious story. So I, but that's how I approach it, of course, because I'm a storytelling comic and I'm an autobiographical comic. I guess mates of mine that do whimsical comedy or or do musical comedy or do literally uh, one-liners would have a different approach. But I think it was Adam Richard that said when we were doing Word for Word, he said he could make anyone a comedian. He's like, yeah. there's a few really good tips that as a comedian you could teach people and everyone innately has it in Yeah, there. I would totally agree with that. I think I think everyone everyone can do it. And there, in fact, you can do like, comedy courses that you can do, stand-up comedy courses. I don't know many people that have done them and gone on to other things, but you can do them if you want to. You were very young, though, to be able to then have the like the courage and the confidence to think, oh, look, I can make a career out of it. So when yeah. did you start to think, oh, uh, this is... Oh, gig one. Halfway through gig one. Uh, you supported my parents, spot. obviously. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, "This is I'm going to take over the world, baby. And um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it didn't make money for like four years, but I saved up a whole bunch of money. I was working at Nova as a Casanova handing out free stuff and yeah, ice cold cans of Coke. And I was saving up money from working at Nova and did my first comedy festival show, which cost me about $15,000 or something. What? Well, I wanted to go all out. I was like, I'm going to make an impact. I'm going to take out marketing. Didn't realise you sort of have to be known for marketing to work, um, but hired a publicist. A lot of people do their first comedy festival and and you know scrape by but i was lucky that i just yeah really saved up was living at home and went all out and was 19 did my first comedy festival show and my first manager picked me up 
and I moved to Melbourne a couple of weeks later. Who was your first manager? Andrew Taylor. <gasps> he was fabulous oh. and like a real best mate. And uh, yeah, we travel around the world together for a few years. You know, you've got to go harder, you go home in this industry. And the hardest yeah. working people I know are actually comedians. Like, it's crazy how hard they have worked. Anyone that you've yeah. seen, if you've gone to see someone, and I yeah. say this about any comedian, yeah. even if you're, if, you're, if you're in a room where the audience is there's only four people, that person has worked so goddamn hard. Oh my gosh, yes. And I'm lucky that I didn't go through years and years and years and years and years of having to struggle. But um, yeah, I've done gigs in like on stages that weren't stages, on pool tables at Bucks Nights. I've performed in like outdoors and like on a bale of Hey, I've performed where I've had to literally hold a construction light in one hand and a mic in the other hand to just light myself on stage. Yeah, I've done all those crazy gigs. Who was in your corner the whole time this was happening? Oh, um, oh, my best mates. My best mate, Ashley, who I wrote about in my book. And she gave me like a real insight from an early age into, I guess, entertainment because her brother was Heath Ledger. And so, and we, Ashley was my best mate from four years old and they was my also my neighbor and he grew up down the road so I was very much exposed to that whole world and and also they were an amazing supportive family unit as well so it was kind of nice to see a a normal family going through you know you hear about so many people in the industry who have these Mm. crazy families and it kind of feels like everyone in the industry has to have a crazy family but it was nice to see a normal regular supportive family with this son who's just suddenly well at the time it was on like home and away but you know getting more and bigger and bigger and bigger so yeah Ashley was always in my corner and then in the last 10 years, my best mate, Thomas Jaspers, who, you know, is just, you know, so fabulous. And so fabulous. And when I moved to Melbourne, I met him and he was kind of like my gay uncle and taught me, he would hate that because he's only a few years older, but he knew everything about gay world and taught me everything I knew from which drag queens in Melbourne are the best lip syncers to which is the best drag bingo night to go to. He taught me all that stuff. Who's the best drag queen in Melbourne? Oh gosh, that is such a tough question. I do love Karen from finance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or Californication. What made you move to Melbourne? Okay. My manager, Andrew, said you can either move to Melbourne or Sydney. Pick one. You can move to one, but you can't be in Perth anymore because it's just not practical because I was doing these crazy flights all the time. And I picked Melbourne because (laughs) Wicked the Musical was here. And I figured, well, at least if, you know, I've got nothing on, don't know anyone, I can go and enter the Wicked Lottery every day and just see Wicked. And I did. (laughs) I've and eventually it. hook up with either Rob Mills or Anthony Kalia. That was my that was my goal. Yes, <laughs> or to get a role. in Obviously, it. I can read your mind. Yeah, <laughs> I think I've told Rob that every time I've seen him as well. Yeah. Do you miss Perth at all? Like, do you miss the the warm breeze going through your blonde hair? Yeah, I do. I go back quite often though. I do miss Perth. Yeah, my parents. Yeah, my parents are still there. Yeah, I love going home. What do you like about Melbourne? Oh, I just love that any night of the week. You can go out any night of the week. You can grab a dinner at 11 p.m. You can grab a wine or a coffee at any time of day. And it's just cool. It's just a cool city. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Joel Creasy for this week's Word for Word and basically just having a gossip session. Love it. I had a whole lot of people ask me questions about what I can ask you. This is one that came up. Anyway, who would you save in a fire? What if I don't want to save any of them? (laughs) (laughs) Who would you save in a fire? Joan Rivers, Carrie Fisher or Meryl Streep? Oh my gosh, Joan Rivers. Well, I, I guess I'd have to say, I'd have to say uh, Meryl only because she's the one still alive. But I guess, I guess early on, I would have probably saved Joan because she was my the one I knew the best. Yeah, she was your inspo. Yeah. Selfish bitch had to go and die. <laughs> At least you saved an alive person. It no, seems- I like that question. I, I thought if it was about Australian entertainment people, I probably would, yeah, honestly, be like, I'm, I'm the one starting the fire. <laughs> and I've seen a lot of your comedy shows, so I also have seen you like roast celebrities. Like, oh, absolutely, a lot of celebrities have been mm-hmm. roasted. Have any of them ever come up to you? 
the ones that I've properly spoken about kind of get it. Because everyone I speak about in my act, I still got to like them in a way. Like, if I find someone incredibly boring, I just, you know, and, and but, but they do something to me, I won't talk about them. But it, there's still got to be some sort of appreciation for someone that I'm roasting because I'm talking about them night after night after night after night. So part of me does find them fabulous. But Vance Joy, who I had a like a, a, a spat with, he actually, in the paper the other day, was like, do you know what? I was a dick. And I kind of was like, he's kind of the one that I now have the most respect for because he was the one that was cool about it. Well, I guess with comedy as well, you can't make fun of anyone. And you, yeah, you kind you of have sh- to make yourself the joke in a way. In fact, all my stories, even the one I tell about Vance or any celebrity, actually I'm the one that looks like a dick in the end. Because it's all, it's, they're, they're always stories about me being out of place. And they're ultimately, I'm the loser in all of these stories. And being a self-confessed fame whore, mm-hmm. who has surprised you the most out of someone that you've had the chance of meeting? Oh, I would, I would have had a really good answer to this. Surprised me most. Gosh, I'm not sure. I do remember I used to do material about Charlotte Dawson and once someone said to me, this is uh, maybe nine years ago, and someone said to me, Charlotte Dawson's in the crown tonight. And I went, what? Thinking they were kidding. I went, oh, my God, you kid? No, really? And I was very young, so my material about her was not great. And um, and anyway, then five minutes later, boom, Charlotte Dawson comes to the backstage, and she's like, hi, I thought that was hilarious. What are you doing tomorrow? Let's have lunch. And we became friends from me, you know, calling her nasty things on stage. And so she probably surprised me the most. And I was like, oh, wow, you get it. Charlotte Dawson was like that. But- she was tough. That's why when people go, oh, she let the online stuff get to her, I was like, nah, she sat front row in a comedy show being roasted by some little upstart 21-year-old and bought me lunch the next well, day. Well, yeah, there was definitely more to her yeah, story. completely. It's fu- that was the first thing after being away for four months doing Big Brother. First thing my partner said to me once the yeah. show was over was Charlotte Dawson wants to be your friend. Oh, fabulous. And I thought that was a better achievement than winning Big Brother. Absolutely. Was, Charlotte Dawson wants to be my friend. I remember being on I'm a Celebrity and saying to Chrissy Swan, do you think the Real Housewives of Melbourne will know my name when I come off this show? And then one of them messaged me. And I was like, oh, my God, Janet from the Real Housewives is messaging me. That's actually really funny that you say that because that sort of is a culmination of all of those questions. If, like in a Big Brother scenario, mm-hmm. you had to evict a Real Housewife. Who do you evict out of all the Real Housewives of Melbourne? Oh, that's such a tough question. I probably evict Gina Liano because she's biggest competition. Oh, yeah, tough. Yeah, absolutely. Go for the go for the top dog. When you look at competitive shows like that, mm-hmm. and even with I'm a Celebrity, were you in that show with a tactic? Oh, uh, I was. I went in with a tactic fully. I had I had tickets on sale to a uh, you know a tour, mm. so I went in with a tactic to show Australia how that I'm uh, how funny I was, um, and also pay some bills. Uh, but I think it's because it's such a hardcore show. I, the tactics went out the window three days in. I tried quitting three days in. I wanted to quit and walk out, and then you forget, and then they because because you're so isolated and you're starving, you actually forget you're on a TV show and you think for some reason you're being punished for crimes against the Australian entertainment industry. (laughs) It's the warped uh, mind, you know, when you're not eating or you're not sleeping properly, you then start to believe that it's all... Yeah, and you think you live... But then there's nothing to do and you've still got four weeks left of the show potentially. That feels like four years. And you're like, well, I live here now. This is my life. (laughs) People are obsessed with your relationship with Chrissy Swan. And obviously both of you are just incredibly likeable characters. Yeah. Can you share something that people wouldn't know about your friendship with Chrissy Swan? Oh, um... We already know a lot because we've seen you both in your undies on television. Yeah. What wouldn't they know about... Well, I mean, you know, if our text message records ever fell into the wrong hands, that would be... We'd be done. Just bitching back and forth about Real Housewives mostly. The thing with Chrissy, and this is why I think people love her, everyone knows... People go, oh, I feel like I know her. Like, Mm. you actually do. There's very few things. 
that people don't know about Chrissy Swan. I went to Bali with her. We went to Bali together oh. and I um, got Bali Belly and she came and looked after me and it, it was not a pretty state. She brought me some Imodium. <laughs> I wanted a story about Chrissy and Joel that I, we didn't know and we got you with the shits yeah, and some Imodium. Seriously, I was shitting my pants and Chrissy Swan <laughs> came into that very bathroom and gave me some Imodium. There you go, I've never told anyone that. I have to say though, with her, she was one of the reasons why I applied to do Big Brother was that her laugh... Oh yeah, she was like the... That, she yeah. was like, you know, but that's showing my age as well. Yeah. Like, I No, I do remember Chrissy on Big Brother. She would laugh on that show and it was a soulful laugh. And so you just felt like she was one of your mates at school kind of thing? I remember my mum, me and my mum used to watch Big Brother together and Regina was on that season. And Regina, of course, was Reggie, was kind of the out there one that everyone thought was hilarious. But my, I remember sitting on the couch one day and my mum said, you know, Chrissy's the funny one. Mm. And I went, no, she's not. She's the smart, boring one. It's, it's Reggie. This is how, you know, I was thinking it, however old I was, 11 or 12. I was like, no, no, Reggie's the funny one. No, she was, mum was like, no, no, just watch and, and, and Chrissy's the funny one. And I remember watching and falling in love with her. So I was thrilled to become friends with her. Now I have to ask you, you are in a rock solid relationship with a very handsome man. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you were stalking you. this man on Instagram Four before. Years. Well done. Thank you. That's the wore real prize. Him, wore him down. Yeah. <laughs> How did you end up getting in contact with him? We were messaging well actually, bizarrely, he messaged me. Um uh, we, After you liked a hundred yeah, of his photos. He, I think he maybe finally saw my thirsty DMs and he started replying after the Adele concert. Obviously, we were both feeling a bit. We were both at the Adele concert and didn't realise we were both there. And uh, yeah, and then he came around and watched. We had a bit of Netflix and chill. And he's so like, I make so so much fun of him, and he's really good with it. He just puts up with so much crap from me. What's he doing right in the relationship? What is he? What's he he's killing? Ni- he's nice. He's like he's so. What's he doing right in the relationship? Oh, he does everything right. He's so nice. He's like the nice one. He's the compassionate one. He's the one that like like loves. To- he loves people. Yeah, which is such a foreign concept to me. Loves people. He loves a hug, and yeah, he's so nice. We often don't like talk about why people are good in relationships. No, like, we always talk about when relationships end. I was just reading yeah. In Style magazine with Jennifer Aniston, and they were oh. buzzing her about her divorce. And, oh god! And I just am like, we never ever have these open conversations about what the men in our lives or the women in our lives do right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what we should be celebrating. I'd be more interested, maybe that's just saying who I am, but I'd be more interested to read about why relationships are good. Well, that's so true. I actually thought about, because in stand-up, they're like the, all the, like a lot of the shows that win awards are breakup shows. And in mm. fact, my, one of my best stand-up shows was a, 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 um, about my last breakup. And, um, and, and then I actually was saying to, I think it was Reese Nicholson or someone recently, I was saying, how do you write a, a, a funny stand-up show about being in a relationship? It's really tough, but I'd like to try and do it. But Celia Pacuala has a funny bit in her stand-up where she says, if, you've got, if you think you've got a funny story about being in a relationship, you don't. <laughs> you don't. No relationship story is funny. Sad, single, getting drunk on your own stories, they're the funny ones. Well, they're more relatable. Kind of do agree with it. <laughs> you, know, you obviously talked a lot about uh, relationships that you had before and failed relationships. Yeah. What were you doing wrong in those relationships? Oh, my gosh. How well, did you keep finding yourself in that Well, trouble? I was the last one was long distance, so that was major issue uh, between him and America. Praise and be to anyone who's having a long distance relationship. Anyone tells you. me they're going into a long distance oh, relationship, so I'm tough. like, I feel prepare to fail. Yeah, it's so tough. Why it's would so you tough. do that to yourself? Yeah, I know. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, but, you know, some people make it work. But but we had no – I think it's when you've got like an end in sight when you're going to be together, whereas we were like, I wasn't moving to America – he wasn't moving here. Um, so, yeah, that's what, I guess that's what I, I keep doing wrong. Yeah. And also, I, like, I've dated comics and, and actors and stuff in the past. Whereas Jack's an actor um, and model, but I, I guess actor's better. But I've dated, like, my ex is a comedian, so that just was not, not great. And a footballer. 
Oh, yes. Yeah. You got a lot of mileage out of the football. People were so shocked. It was one line of my book and it really went off. But when the book came out, everyone jumped on this one line. But mm. the thing was, I was excited about it because I thought... Well, good on Joel for having a relationship with, you know. Yeah, well, if Eddie had stadium, that helps. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Was he on Grinder? Is that how you met this person? Yeah. But I got excited about that one line because I thought this is opening up a porthole to someone being a gay footballer who's going to be proud of it. Totally. And I was hoping that that person was going to then come out into the yeah. media. And, but when do you think we're going to get to a point where we see our sporting heroes feel comfortable about their sexuality. Gosh, I hope so soon. And it's particularly AFL. I mean, we place such a focus on the AFL too. And I don't know why it's them that, that are always under the under the microscope. Uh, but I guess it's uh, it's our national sport. I don't know. I hope soon. But I think I think we see things. Uh, I think there's things going on behind the scenes that we're not privy to that make it a lot, lot more tricky for them. But that said, I remember having this amazing conversation with Barry Hall on I'm a Celebrity being like, and he was saying, I hope, and he's, you know, the poster boy of uh, what a tough AFL mm. Footy stereotype is, and he goes, I hope, I hope one day that someone, someone does feel comfortable coming out. And yeah, it was one line in my book, and it went went off. And then everyone wants to know about it. But I yeah. guess you know. But I've, I, so I've dropped every, I've, everywhere. I've dropped different bits of information that are uh, about different teams, just to completely throw people off the scent. <laughs> what would you say out of all of the shows that you've done, and you've done like this year alone, mm-hmm. like working with Rove? Yeah, like that was that's awesome. Amazing. It was really nice working with Rove. Just before I did, I went and hosted my own show actually because I learned a lot off him. I've got a, a, whole, a real respect for Rove. What did you learn from Rove then that you probably took on to take me out? Patience. He is the most patient guy. It was amazing watching him host. um, Because, you know, the show I do with Rove, Show Me the Movie, is a brand new show, brand new concept, Mm. playing games, a lot of set changes. And watching how patient he was with producers, how great he was with the studio audience, how well-researched he came in was, you know, I was always a fan growing up. But, um, yeah, I was really – I actually thought about him a lot when I was hosting Take Me Out. And I was like – Come on, you've seen Rove, you know, deal with way worse situations and calmly, you can calm down, Joel. What have you borrowed? You know, that was the thing for me, uh, just knowing you and also being so proud of a gay person hosting their show like that. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, we're in two- yeah. 2018, we need to see more of this. Totally. But with Take Me Out, I did get a copy of it sent by Seven to watch before it was on. Yeah. And I was so nervous for you. Yeah. And then when oh, you- Oh, well, I was nervous. Like, I literally could have climbed underneath- my, my couch at home and I watched yeah. it with my with my fiance and his best friend and we all just loved it like yeah, just it's so fun thought it was so fun but how do you have the confidence well it's kind of it is it is weird actually live studio tapings are, are quite nerve-wracking because everyone gets free tickets as well and a lot of people just grab them because it's a night out um so there's a lot of pressure from the audience that could leave at any moment they've had no live live studio tapings there's no investment from the crowd mm. because they've they've not paid anything so they can leave at any second so you and you want to keep and we had an audience of 500 you want to keep them there so that actually does put the pressure on a little bit and when you're stumbling over lines in auto cue you can feel them go Ugh. When you're on to take three or take four. Plus, on our show, we, as you would know, we do a lot of alliteration. Like mm. my spicy Spanish single Sebastian. I'm doing yeah. all that sort of stuff. And so you're tripping up all the time. I just think it's it's incredible. With doing these sorts of shows, though, is Australia a little bit behind the times? If you look at America, their number one chat show mm. is Ellen. Yes. If you look at England, the number one chat show is Graham, Graham Norton. They've got loads who's of from Ireland. Chat you know, show like, hosts, yeah. But I mean, if you're looking around the world, why is it that Australia seems to be taking so long to putting the 
confidence or the faith into someone like yourself to host something like... Because I think you've shot a pilot before, haven't you? Yeah, I shot a talk talk show pilot years ago. I think it's because I guess just our industry isn't that big and there aren't as many hosts to choose from, but there's there's such a strong crop of of gay performers coming through and it was great that Tom Ballard had his own show and there's, of course, Reese and Hannah's killing it. So I think we will see more. But I don't think that... I just think there was a, a, a lack of... Of representation. Would, is that the dream? Is that at some point in your career you're thinking, I want to do that? I want to have like a daytime chat show? I'd like to have a nighttime. I'd love to have a nighttime chat show. I guess you get to be sure. more bawdy and... Yeah, for sure. You can be a bit more crass. I kind of want to do a bit of everything. I really, en- I do enjoy every part of the industry. I hosted the morning show the other morning, Carly Gillies. Loved it. Oh, so good. I loved reading the news of the day. I felt so adult. Have they ever tried to get you to do, like, breakfast radio? How much money do you reckon they'd have to pay you to take take on Kyle Sanderlands in Sydney? Oh. Not that you'd ever do it, but how much money do you reckon that offer you? I don't know. I'm not sure. I guess at this point, no amount of money really can can, can be worth going up against any of those Sydney breakfast shows that have been there for so long. But I know, radio's never been my calling. I love I, – because you know what I love? I love being a guest on everyone else's radio show. You get to be like the bitzer and you get to totally. try and do different things. And yeah. it sort of builds up your, your craft, I guess. Yeah. I just think, though, when it comes to radio at the moment, there's a lack of curiosity with people who are hosting the shows. Yeah. Like, I get really sick of listening to people. They have to interview the girls from The Bachelor and yeah. they feel like that they're better than the girls from The Bachelor, so they sort of put them down. Yeah, of and course. I yeah. feel like what's missing, on, especially in the metro circuit, is – you know, people genuinely being interested in that story. Yes. yes, they might be from The Bachelor, but if you sound interested, all the people in the car will be interested as also, well. Also, those girls didn't know that they were going to talk to you guys either. They're probably, you know, it's probably the night after they've been eliminated. They've been told by the network publicity that, hey, you're speaking to 30 different yeah. stations this morning. It's back to back to back to back to back. So, you know, I know a lot of them are moles, but at the same time, they had no idea that they were walking to this interview either. So, you know, it's got to be a, a bit of a shared responsibility. You know, Joel, this is a very different word for word for me. We're just having a complete gossip session. Were you sad to see M. Rossiano leave doing breakfast radio? Oh, I don't know. I think she's destined for bigger and better things. So I think I'm, I'm happy for her. And I think she seems pretty stoked too. She's pregnant. She'll be getting out of there. Yeah. I know. I'm having dinner with her on Saturday. I'm very excited. The idea of, like, if you had a competition where you won a dinner with you and some of your friends being M. Rossiano, Chrissy Swan. Yeah. I reckon we'd get fun. everyone that's a member at Joy. Yeah, me for Hurst. That's I often think about those three like that. Is I've had I've had dinner with some type combinations of the two of them, but I need to get all three in a room. That would be fabulous. Well, that's the thing is like I guess you know being in the industry as long as you have been, you sort of collected mm. a lot of amazing people. Like Reese, amazing, He's amazing, like yeah. just so good. I yeah. remember like that's one of the first things that I'd ever saw you do was the the show that you did, Gay Crashes. Yeah, yeah, for the ABC. And was that on the ABC? It was on ABC. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, it was fun. It's, it's, I love Reese. I love working with him. He's so funny. He He's really so makes me funny. laugh. So funny. Yeah, I was so I'd never met him before. And when I, you were with him the other night, yeah, and I just oh, I just said to him on repeat sixty five times that I thought he was aming. He's and, amazing, and he's also so. Strong striking in person he's yes. so beautiful what about singing you've never done any singing can't sing it kills me could this be the first one can i get you to sing anything just mary had a little I can't sing anything do you, little know, mermaid? Do you know a funny story i which i people don't know i actually auditioned i got a call to audition for the lion king last time it was in australia for the role of the bird zazu and i was like why is disney stunt casting the lion king they don't need me and they uh, i went in for an audition and it was horrendous and i lost my spot in the song and I didn't know, they're like, where do you want to pick it up from? And I didn't know the lingo. So I said, I'm going to have to sing the song from the top again. I sang, um, 
oh, one, a song from Jesus Christ Superstar. And it was awful and I could feel them cringing. And then the fact that then I had to sing it again to audition for the bloody Rowan Atkinson bird role. And th- anyway, never got the call. I'm also glad I didn't go into a Disney musical for a year and a half. What, what about dancing? Can you do any dancing? Can I dance? Oh, yeah. I've danced a few times on TV on the, on the Great Debate, the Comedy Festival Great Debate. To end my debate spot, I was like, oh, I don't really have a point, so I'll just get some hot backup dancers and do a routine. What was the routine? Uh, we did a routine to Taylor Swift's Shake It Off one year, and then another year, I don't know how it worked into my debate, but we did a dance routine with Drag Queens to A Little Party Never Killed Somebody by Fergie Ferk. <laughs> what about uh, Dancing with the Stars? It's coming back. Would you do something like that? What I do dancing? Oh, I don't know. I've done, I've done my reality, celebrity reality show, so I think, uh, yeah, not yet. Oh. But I would do it for the fitness. I've had so many friends do it that say, gosh, you get fit. How much weight did you lose in I'm a Celebrity? 13 kilos. 13 kilos. It's mm-hmm. outrageous. Outrageous. And I was, yeah, I came off, I actually came off really very thin. And and I actually felt great because I was so detoxed, but I was, I sleep in my stomach and it was, and my ribs were so exposed and I couldn't sleep in my stomach for a while. I very, I retox very quickly. Don't worry. Do you have a lot of pressure as well to feel like you have to, like with the LGBTI community, there's a lot of pressure on you to be a role model for for gay people? Sometimes, or young gay people looking for advice you know, you know, com- for coming out, and then I feel like you know, my I'm I'm so lucky to have such an easy coming out that my advice, you know, isn't that well informed, and I'm really only going off what others have told me and what I've gone through in my kind of sheltered way. People do, I guess, sometimes you know, say, "Oh, my child looks up to you so much," and I do feel a bit of pressure then because then to I'm try and live up to that. Certainly not living my hashtag best life. <laughs> but do you sense yourself with things like Instagram and social media? Do you think, oh, well, there's younger people? Oh no, up to oh, God, you? I haven't thought of that until you mentioned it. Maybe I should. <laughs> I remember that's what I was thinking for ages. I was like just posting the same sorts of things on Instagram. And then someone said to me, it was was a photo of me driving. Yeah. On my Instagram. Oh. Obviously, I took this photo. And then I became so stilted about what, like PG'd myself. Yeah. That all I did was post photos of my boyfriend and my dog for six months. Yeah. And now I've only got 20,000 followers. Well, I think you've got to try and, you've got to try and be interesting to the general public and funny yeah but at the same time you can't bore them to death no i probably do with my my instagram content my insta stories are literally just photos of me of planes that i'm about to get on no one cares no one cares joel but that's all i post it's the the only thing i time i ever think to post is at the airport what's next for you got a netflix special coming out uh next year which is very exciting which will be on Netflix. that's right you went overseas already and recorded this it's done it's filmed it's it's being edited as we speak so my job's done yeah which is very exciting such an honor to be on netflix that's amazing. Yeah, I can't wait. Were you nervous going into this oh, Netflix thing? So I mean, nervous. if you look at what's happened with Hannah, Hannah, and then you just with Nanette. Well, it, it, Hannah's been amazing. It's been so excellent for her. I mean, what I, I don't do, I mean, my stand-up style is so far from what Hannah does, which I guess is kind of great that I'm the next comic because I don't do any, you know, my stand-up is nowhere near as, as thoughtful as Hannah's. I just, you know, tell stories about celebrities, but I guess it's a nice contrast to what she does. But yeah, I'm so proud of her. Is uh, she a know. mate of yours? Um, oh, she's a workmate, yeah. I mean, yeah, we know each other. We've worked together. We've toured around the, wo- uh, the world, around Australia together and done some gigs <laughs> overseas together. It's a global scale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but then I've, I've been like, I should send her a text and say congratulations, but at the same time, she's probably getting her phone's probably being flooded. I'll wait until I see her in person and say, good on you. I actually did go to message her the other day and back through, and then the last text, I was sick a few years ago. I had shingles and she messaged me. She saw that I tweeted about having shingles, messaged me out of the blue. I, yeah, I never knew her that well. And she said, hey, I've had shingles. It really sucks. Jenny would bring you some soup or something. Oh my god, that's crazy! Yeah, what a what's, legend. Who, what's the most famous person that's offered to help you out? So far, we've got Chrissy oh, Swan helping you with the shits. Um, yeah. Oh god, 
I don't know. Oh, Alan Cumming gave me a drink card in New York what, a couple of weeks ago. He goes, like, like, here you guys, if I needed it. And he's, I went round to his house in New York. It's beautiful. It's oh, got, you actually went to his house? Yeah. Got great taste. Great taste. Oh, my God, this is crazy. Yeah. And that's no one's ever going to play How Many Celebrities Do You Know Better Than This, I know, I'm Better Than a, You. I'm not such a name dropper. <laughs> do you want to pick that up? You've just dropped yeah, it on yeah, the ground. Yeah. Have you got a message for the queer community that might be listening to this right now? Uh, to the queer community, I would say, um, to all the ones I've kissed, I apologise. <laughs> and to all the ones I haven't kissed, when this relationship wraps up, I'll be there. You'll be back. <laughs> yeah. He'll I'll be back. see you on the dance floor. Joel Crazy, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. On Word for Word. Pleasure. Thank it's you. the interrogation. Oh, heaven. I love the spotlight. Amazing. Thank you. You're done. Word for Word is presented and produced by Ben Norris from Australia's LGBTI radio station, Joy. Word for Word is distributed nationally to over 70 radio stations across the community radio network. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.